Good morning, everyone. Today, of course, is Christ the King Day, so you, if you haven't been able to tell by all the music, uh, it is the final day in the church calendar, um, of, so it's the final day of the church year, and then next Sunday we'll pick up with the first day of the church year. A lot of people are surprised that it's not January 1st. Uh, the church actually didn't care about January 1st. We didn't celebrate, like, different, uh, different countries have different New Year's days, so the church has their own New Year's Day. So we pick up with Advent, and Advent will explain next year. Um, I mean, next year, next, well, next year, actually. Advent will explain next year. And uh, that is the primary focus of Advent is the coming of the King. Um, this day is Christ the King. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So to start off with today, I want everyone to close their eyes. So everyone close your eyes for a second. I'm going to say the name of Jesus four times, right? Just want you to think about the name. Picture what I say. Ready? Jesus. 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 Okay. What image did you get? You can answer. Jesus carrying the cross. Jesus preaching where? On a hill? Okay. What did he look like? He looked like what? Okay. Huh? <laughs> okay, Jonathan Rumi and the Chosen. All right. Pictured his hands with the nails. Who else? What did he look like? Rugged. All right, rugged. He saw a warrior. What did he look like? Super intense, and that's interesting, and preparing for battle. Who else? What else did you get? Anybody else? His arms outspread. What did he look like? What was his hair like? Just look like love? What color hair did Jesus have? Brown? Okay, what color eyes did he have? Brown? What color skin did he have? Light brown. Brown eyes, brown hair, light brown skin. All right. What color was he big, tall, muscular? Huh? 
What'd you say? Anyone? What'd you get, Grace? Uh, from the chosen? Anyone get a different picture? Okay, how many said Jesus had blue eyes? Anyone get blue-eyed Jesus? Brown-eyed Jesus? Green-eyed Jesus? How many got a uh, brown-skinned Jesus? Black Jesus? White Jesus? Right? How many got like a hippie Jesus? <laughs> All right. How many got a warrior Jesus? How many got like a loving Jesus? A lovely Jesus. I like a lovely Jesus. All right. Interesting. I want you to keep all those pictures in your mind. And most of us have a particular view of Jesus that we get from Sunday school or the art which we see in churches, right? I went to Europe and I saw all this wonderful art. I saw all these cathedrals. I love going into cathedrals because you see cathedrals from different eras of the church, the ancient church, the modern church, all different churches. If you've grown up in modern American or non-denominational or more modern denominational Protestant churches, you probably have an understanding of Jesus in a friend. He's your best friend motif. That's very common, especially in modern churches. Um, If you grew up in a liberal denomination, you have kind of a loving, long-haired hippie Jesus, right? That's kind of what you had. Uh, Maybe like, peace and love, dude. Um, Something like that. But what would would I surprise you if I said that all of these images of Jesus aren't Jesus as he is now? This isn't the Jesus of Scripture. At least... Not the New Testament epistles and Revelation. You see, a lot of us have a picture of Jesus as he is in the Gospels. But that's not Jesus post-resurrection or, pre-resur- or, sorry, or pre-incarnation. Right? We have a select picture of Jesus. Kind of an image in our own minds. Now, the picture that the Apostle Paul paints in Colossians is a very different picture. And that's the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, or you can look on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, open it to Colossians. Colossians has uh, four chapters. If you look at them, it's a tightly written epistle. Very tightly written epistle. That's why I like to memorize Colossians. There are a lot of fellow seminarians that memorize the book of Romans. Romans is a very long book, really long to memorize. I see no reason why you should memorize all of that when you could just memorize Colossians. That's what I thought. A lot shorter, right? Three chapters. Now, I always encourage you to memorize passages in chunks. A lot of people like a verse here, a verse there, a verse there. Why do that? Because it's out of context. When you can memorize a big chunk in context and impress everybody. But also, you know a lot of scripture and you'll learn a lot of theology that way. All right? So, Colossians is a very tightly wound uh, book, a very tightly, um, excuse me, a very um, a compact book. It's very valuable to memorize. Now, it's not like Philemon or Timothy. Now, those books are personal books. They have a lot of stuff that's valuable, but they're written to people. 
right? And Paul describes, hey, don't do this, do this. And, and so we kind of get a flavor of Paul, right? Uh, Philemon was written with a slave, please, please free this slave. Timothy was written to a minister, hey, this is what I need you to do as a pastor. And so it's got some valuable that, value like that. It's not like 1 John, which we focused on last year, which was written about love and really focused on one topic. Colossians is really in-depth, and it's a prison letter, and it looks like Paul from prison heard about the Colossians, and he wanted to write them an intense letter, maybe because he was in prison and he wanted to share the gospel and the good news with them, possibly because he thought, hey, I'm never going to get there. I don't know what's going to happen to me in prison, so I want to write down everything I can, but maybe I've only got one little piece of paper front and back, and so i got to cram it. You know, like if you've ever cheated on a test and you got to pull it out, and you've like, who's cheated? I saw like... You probably never cheated on a test, right? I see a few smiles out there. But if you've ever cheated on a test and you like fry it on the front and the back and you got to squeeze it in your, in your little thing right there and you, and you pull it out. Or if you've got like a page of notes and the professor says, look, you're only allowed one page of notes, right? Then what do you do with that page of notes? You pull out your little pen and you write the most microscopic way you can possibly write and you just cram it in there. Well, Paul probably just crammed everything he could into this one little page. He like flipped it over, microscopically he writes it down, right? That's what he does. Whatever the reason, Colossians ends up being a very dense, very deep letter. So in our passage this morning, He speaks about the nature of the kingship of Jesus, which is why it's chosen for Christ the King Day. This whole letter is about who Jesus is. But here's the surprising thing. It's not the kindly Jesus that we find in the Gospels. And it's not that Jesus wasn't kindly and isn't kindly today. It's Jesus as he is post-resurrection. And really pre-incarnation. It's a very different picture of who Jesus is. Now, Paul is writing this letter in response to some really good news that he received from Epaphras. Epaphras is a friend of his who comes in Colossians 1, 3 through 4. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for the saints. And this, um, and this makes this letter and this section really helpful when you have to talk to people about Jesus because Paul is teaching this new congregation about who Jesus is. So Paul shares with us the key to good discipleship. Discipleship is training up people in the faith. If you want to train up people in the faith, Paul shows you how to do it in this letter. And so from the day we heard of it in Colossians 1, 9 through 11, that's our passage, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Notice Paul and Timothy have regularly prayed for the new believers. Do you have people in your life who you're sharing the gospel with that you regularly pray for? 
And if a new believer, if someone has come to Christ, are you regularly praying for them? That's what Paul is doing. He hears this even in prison, even when he is struggling, and you would think, man, I'm mopey. This, uh, how am I in prison? Here I preach the gospel and the good news of Jesus, and I should be miserable, and you all should be praying for me. And how could God do this to me? That's how he should be. At least we think that. But that's not how he is, is he? No. He's saying what? We're excited because you've come to Jesus. And I'm going to pray for y'all. We've not ceased to pray for you all. So excited are we that we've heard that you've come to Jesus, that even in prison, we've not ceased to pray for you. So he talks about this. We are praying, and you should be then praying for people who you're sharing the gospel with, who you're about to share the gospel with, and who have just come to faith. It's an important first step and an important consistent step, meaning that you need to constantly do it. Look, every part of evangelism needs to be bathed in prayer. Nobody comes to Jesus without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to lead your friends to Jesus, right? That's why you don't have to worry about what a good job you're going to do. I hear that all the time. I'm worried that I might mess it up. Me too, right? That's why it's a great thing that God does the saving. It's not about you. You're not that special. God is good. He is going to do the saving. He's just using you as a messenger. So get out there and share the good news. And thank God that he's going to work despite you and through you. Just pray this prayer. Lord, give me the words to say. And then trust that the Lord is going to give you the words to say. That's it. And then, of course, you got to go share. That's the hard part. We all get nervous. Sweaty palms, all that stuff. What if they don't like me? Well, they didn't like Jesus. And then, of course, Romans 10, 14 says this. How will they call in him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody? What does that say? Preaching. That doesn't mean actually me preaching. Well, Paul is saying, how will they believe if somebody doesn't go and talk to them? When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? Now, here's the thing. Everybody thinks when I'm saying this, I mean you got to go knock on somebody's door you don't know or sit down with somebody you don't know. But this can be your friend or your family. But you can also do ministries out in the community. Kelly was just talking to me about a new ministry or a new um, uh, outreach where you befriend people who are disabled, right? Or maybe you do a ministry where you're working with underprivileged people, the homeless shelter, elderly. Maybe you're working at nursing homes, right, in the hospitals. There's all kinds of places that we can get involved are you involved? You don't have to just go home and click on television at night or work in your shop or do whatever. There are plenty of ways that you as a person can get involved in the community, and during those interactions, you can talk about your faith. 
And talking about your faith doesn't have to be a 10-point um, here and here and here. It's simply talking about who God is to you. You see, it can become as natural as breathing. Now, the first couple times are going to be clumsy if you haven't ever done it. That's okay. We all have to learn to crawl before we walk. And we're all going to stumble sometimes. We're all going to mess up. But you got to get out there and do it. I didn't learn how to preach on the first day of my life. Colossians 1, 12 to 14. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, Paul moves on to this next section and says this. He's teaching them what it means to be saved, right? He goes... This is what happens when you've come to Jesus. And I want you to understand, Colossians, and by extension us, that salvation is actually not an act of ours, which is good news when we're sharing the gospel. But also, he begins to explain this. Now, new Christians don't actually need to know that this is the case. This is something later on. This is like Christianity 201. But it does help us especially when we're sharing our faith. Um, From our perspective, and from a new believer's perspective, we make a choice and we choose Jesus, and this is the case, and and how this is all going to work together is a mystery. But nobody comes to God without being called and without being chosen. Right? Paul tells us the glorious news of how this happens actually happens. God the Father is very involved in our salvation. It is the Father who qualifies us to share in the salvation of Jesus Christ. How? It's a mystery. But here's what Ephesians says, 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons, or to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, this is a super deep passage on its own, and I'm preaching Colossians, so I'm not going to go into this. I just want to point out two parts. The Father chose us, and we are predestined before the foundation of the world. Now, how does this work? Well, it specifically works this way. As all theologians will say, they'll be highfalutin, they'll write lots of books, they'll explain it in this fashion, they'll say this, they'll say that, they'll say this, and at the end of the day, they're all blowing smoke, which is a fancy way, children, of saying they don't know, they're just making it up. Because, last I checked, they're not God, I'm not God. 
I can't actually tell you how God chose us before the foundation of the world, nor can anyone else. However, if I want to sell you books, I can write a long book trying to explain it like a lot of other theologians do. But as Anglicans, we simply say this, it's a mystery, and I'm comfortable with that. However, Scripture does say this, he chose us, and that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but it does say that, how unfair, I don't care, he chose us. He predestined, he also says that, I don't like that word, I don't care, that's what it says. But he doesn't say how. It's a mystery. And I'm comfortable with that. Some people aren't. But I'm not God. I can't explain these things. And if God were to try to explain it to me, he kind of does, but it's like him getting down and explaining to a two-year-old when he's explaining to us. It's like trying to explain the two-year-old, all the complex conversations that mommy and daddy are having, right? Or like Trung, when he sits and he gets down on one knee and says, Jeff, this is how a radar system works. Blah, 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 blah. And at the end, then Trung gets frustrated and just says, it's magic! It's magic! And I'm like, it is magic. It is magic. It's tough. There are things that we can't understand. However, God's choice and predestination works together with our free will. And we have to choose him. And both things are said. And incidentally, if you know your theology, I'm just going to step a little bit out of the boat here. But Calvin also says that. If you're a Calvinist, he says there's free will and there's predestination. I don't know how these two things to work together. And anyone who says they do and goes further than that is profane. And then, of course, the next generation of Calvinists say, well, let's try to figure it out. And they go to where the profane is. Anglicans rejected that, of course. So the Father qualifies us, which means he chose us. And when a person comes to Jesus, then Paul goes on and says this, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. And when we get transferred into the kingdom of Jesus... This is transformational for you and for me as a new believer. So here's the thing. For so many of us, we grew up in this faith. This is one of the reasons that we're reluctant to share our faith, right? I grew up in it. Well, I came to faith when I was 12, so I knew a little bit about what it was like to not be a believer before. The Spirit filled a little bit later or released the power of the Spirit in my life a little bit later. But I knew what it was like a little bit before. But a lot of us grew up in the faith, and we don't know what it was like before we were a Christian, and so we're kind of reluctant to share our faith with others. But some of us came to Christ later in life, and so we understand what it was like to not be a believer, and then to be a believer, so we understand what it was like to be in the kingdom of darkness, and then to be out of the kingdom of darkness. And so what the imagery here really is, think of it this way, is I was a tree planted, and I use this a lot, in the kingdom of darkness where my roots were drawing on, the, on sin, right? And so if you were to eat my fruit and eat an apple, it would be poisonous and sinful, right? You would know me by my fruits, as James says. But when you come to Christ, you are transplanted and run over here and you are dropped into godly holy soil 
And you begin drawing upon that, and now when you pluck your fruits and eat, it should be holy and non-toxic. Now, here's the thing. We are all still sinners, and so we shoot a root back over here. I love my lust, or I love my anger, or I love my bitterness, or whatever your sin is. We all have them. Gossip or whatever. And so if we get the fruit and we eat it. Oh, this is very nice, nice, nice. And we get to this one part. Oh, poison. But in general, we jump from here to here. And the people who have lived in this and then are transplanted over here, they understand the radical change that has come. And so they tend to be really excited about sharing the good news of Jesus. But if you've grown up here your whole life, it's not such a big deal to you. And so you get a little bit afraid. What if they don't like me? I don't, this is a very difficult place to be. And so we don't want to share the gospel. But folks, if you've seen it, and if you've been among people who have made this shift, then you understand how radical a transformation it is. In fact, I was just with a person who showed me a picture of all these people that were Muslims who had all come to the faith. It was a really cool picture. Here's the thing he said, though. This person, after this picture, two days later, his entire family was murdered because he came to Jesus. This person was killed because they came to Jesus. This person was thrown in prison. The whole thing. All of them had significantly lost somebody, and yet they are still sharing Jesus with others. Why? How radical a transformation must have happened for that to have taken place? What was it about coming to faith and jumping from this to this that cost them everything and yet they would still be sharing Jesus? There's something about Christ our King. There's something about the good news of Jesus. And Paul knew this, by the way, because he is writing from where? It's right. They're experiencing this union with Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God. See, this is a very different Jesus, isn't it? The firstborn of all creation. He was back at the beginning. For by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Everything in the universe is held together in him, which means he is everywhere. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent or first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now this is not the picture we get in the Gospels. It is what Jesus says but it's not a picture that we always take from the Gospels if we don't read the rest of Scripture. 
Paul is describing the ascended Jesus and the pre-incarnate Jesus, a being so powerful that everything in the universe is held together in Jesus. And in him all things were created because Jesus was before all things. He is massively powerful. So not simply the best friend image that's put forth in so many churches. He's the firstborn and conqueror of death so that we too can conquer death. He's the head of the church, of which, if we come to him, we are all part. Whether we are on earth or in heaven, we are all part of him. And Jesus is king because all things were created through him and for him. We are held together in him. He is king because all of the fullness of the Father indwells him and because he fulfilled the will of the Father and conquered sin and death. So the Father made him the head or king of the church. He left as the lamb, but he will return as the lion of Judah and conquer all. And then at the end, once everything has been subdued, Jesus, our King, will come before the Father and hand it over. You see, our King, even though He is massively powerful and all things hold together in Him, and He is everywhere, is also humble. This is the gospel that we share. This is the king who died for you and who died for those who are in the kingdom of darkness. And he wishes to bring them to the kingdom of light. But how can he do that unless we share the good news of Jesus with them? All hail King Jesus, Christ the King.